Good morning. Oh, come on, 1115. Good morning. There you are. There you are. You had a little bit more coffee, maybe a little bit more sleep. Hey, listen, let's have some fun this morning. Amen. Hey, Summer at the Creek has been a blast. We've had uh, ice cream. We've had uh, koozies and Cokes last week. This week, we want to say thank you to all those that have already given blood. Those of you that are giving blood, uh, donating blood to, at both locations. Uh, it's just a way for us to sow generosity back into our community, into our healthcare systems. Um, we know that uh, this has been a trying time. And can we just say thank you for all of those healthcare workers uh, that serve our community one time? Just give it up for them. This is just a way where we're able to give back into the community. It's also a way where we're able to have some fun. It's summer at the creek. Uh, we've had a lot of fun. We hope you've had fun. And uh, hopefully today we'll, uh, we'll continue that fun today. So uh, I want to start with a story uh, as I was thinking about today's message. Uh, something that happened about three years ago. Um, and I want to say what's up to everybody in Nacogdoches and those that are joining us online. It, those in Dive Ball Dun Duncan, everybody that's joining us online this morning. Um, but yeah, three years ago, uh, I was in a coffee shop. Uh, loved this coffee shop. It was called Ecclesia, um, and which is kind of is a Greek word for the church or a gathering of believers. Uh, really cool place. It, it kind of became my place to build sermons or uh, even just go and kind of just study the Word of God. And I love this place. Unfortunately, it, got, it did get closed down during the COVID season. Um, but it, it was a it was a place that I found uh, where I could find kind of some quiet time, even in the hustle and bustle of a coffee shop that was real busy. It was a place where I would go. And I remember I was trying to write a sermon. I was trying to write a message, and uh, it, was in this, it was in September. Football season was kicking off. I was kind of building this um, message around teams and the, you know, the football field and all of this. And I felt kind of good about it, but I really wasn't, it wasn't hitting for me. And I was like, God, what, what are you trying to say? What are you, what are you trying to do? What are you, what are you speaking to my heart? Um, and th this was kind of for a completely different uh, take on this message, but I remember exactly what happened. Uh, I really felt the Spirit kind of lead me to get in the car and go. So I filled up my coffee again, got in the car, and I just began to drive. And in this area, it's kind of like the gold mine for millennials. It's got coffee shops. It's got um, Target. It's got Chick-fil-A. It's got pretty much everything you need um, for anybody, but especially those millennials uh, driving minivans. Like, we just we jumped on the minivan train yesterday, y'all. I never would have said I would, but we did, um, and I, I ain't mad at it, really. I mean, it's pretty nice. It's purple. My wife got a purple minivan. I mean, like, I'm, I, you're probably going to see me driving the, the Perp Pacifica somewhere around here, but it, it's all good. She likes it. Um, I never would have thought we would have had a minivan, but it is what it is. Anyway, so uh, whatever I'm talking about today. So I get in my car, and I'm driving. It wasn't a minivan. It was a car. I'm driving. And I drive by Target and I begin just to kind of see. And I, I really, I'm not, a, it, who, uh, who cranks the music? Like the moment you get in the car, like it's automatically connected, playing your playlist, you're ready to go. Several of you, a few of you, okay. Some of you are like, nah, I'd rather peace and quiet. I'm actually like that. Like you wouldn't think that about me, but with three kids and the job that I do, I'm around music all the time. I love music. But for whatever reason, in my car, I don't play a lot of music when I'm by myself. I got three kids, so I hear all kinds of music all day long. Like, it's not even music music, it's just music. Whatever noise they're making, I'm just hearing it. So it's just like, it's a little bit of peace, a little bit of quiet. I just kind of drive. And so I didn't have any inspiration from music or anything like that. I just was driving, watching these people go in and out of Target as I'm passing it. I go behind the, the Target parking lot. There's these homes, and there's this neighborhood, probably built in the 60s or 70s, some Older homes, really mature trees, really pretty, well-manicured neighborhood. I'm kind of driving through it, trying to kind of, you know, figure out, well, just kind of asking God, God, you know, speak to me. God, I'm, I'm kind of having this, not just writer's block, almost like spiritual block. Like, God, I really don't feel anything. I really don't feel you speaking to me or, or, or anything. And, and I begin to just continue to drive. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing these people come in and out of their homes. And it's around lunchtime, so people are probably leaving to go back to work. And I'm, I'm driving down this neighborhood, probably going way too fast. I'm not really paying attention. Um, but then all of a sudden, like everything kind of slowed down for me, and I began to look at people differently. Uh, and this for me is one of, probably one of the top God moments I really remember um, uh, of my life. Uh, and it was just kind of between me and God. And I feel like in that moment, I got a glimpse, and, and I mean a very small glimpse of how God truly sees humanity um, and, and how he truly sees them as souls. And we say people are souls. We say empty seats are a big deal. Uh, we say Jesus is a sinner. But, but for some reason in this day, God specifically 
gave me a little bit of a window into how he sees humanity. And I really, if I could put it on a percentage scale, I'd probably say 1% of what God truly sees and how he truly feels about you and about lost people and about everyone. Um, because I don't think we can truly handle the way God really feels about humanity. The, the amount of love, the amount of, of affection that he has towards you and towards them, whether they've rejected him or not, he loves them deeply. And I begin to, to drive and I begin to look and I begin to see faces in cars and faces walking down the, the it was, it was on, on the street called Maple. They were walking down the street and I begin to just see people differently and I, I truly begin to just weep and I begin to just cry. And I'm not a big crier, but it, me and Jesus, we have some cry sessions sometimes. I mean, it just, Jesus can make me, Jesus, my wife and my kids are about the only things that can make me cry. I'm not, I'm not emotionless. I just don't, I'm not a big crier, but man, I was like bawling and snotting and drooling. Like it was nasty. It was like one of those nasty criers like a real nasty moment. And I didn't have, like, I didn't have tissues or anything. So it's just like, just wiping everything everywhere, all of the steering wheel. Like it's just, it's just one of those moments, okay? I'm driving and I'm literally looking at people and I, I probably have the ugliest face. I'm like, oh, God, he loves you. Like, and I'm not talking to anybody. Like my windows are all the way up. There's no music on. I'm kind of yelling at the top of my lungs for people. And, and I just have this moment with God and I'm just seeing people. And I literally drive for about 35 minutes. I drove to South Wichita. So when we lived in Wichita, drove to South Wichita, jumped on the turnpike. I don't even remember paying the tolls. I'm sure I did. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, and just continue to drive for about 30 minutes south out of town. I'm seeing cars like driving 75 at this point, just like, oh, God, he loves you so much. Like, but, and I'm, I'm kind of making light of it, but it, honestly, it opened my eyes so much in that moment to the reality of who people are to God. And I get all the way down to this place. Uh, it's like a little gas station with McDonald's, like right about 15 miles before you get to the Oklahoma border. And I, I just kind of pause. I just kind of pray. I, I don't even remember what I said or what I prayed. I don't know how long I was there, but I had this moment, got back on the highway, and it was like kind of all of it kind of came back to reality. Got back on the highway. There was no emotion but I, I remember thinking all the way back, the 30 minute drive back, about what I had just seen and experienced. And I really think it was God just revealing to me the weight that we carry, uh, the, the amount of love that he truly has for you and for them. And I also begin to see something differently. I, I realize there is an eternal fight for every single soul. There's an eternal fight and God is fighting for you. He loves you dearly. He loves them dearly. No matter how many times they've rejected, no matter how many times they've doubted, no matter how strong of an atheist they say that they are, God loves them deeply and he cares deeply for them. You'll never make eyes, uh, lock eyes with somebody who does not deeply matter to God. And I realized that more than ever in that moment. And I begin to understand there really is an eternal fight. There really is a real enemy. And it wasn't like I didn't know there was a devil before, but I realized more than ever, there is a very real fight out there. There is a very real fight for your life. And we know fighting as, as humans, we, we are in fighting mode maybe right now. Maybe you're fighting to preserve your job in this season of unrest that we've been in for almost two years now. Maybe you're preserving, trying, you're fighting to preserve your marriage and you've done counseling, you've read books, you're talking to friends, you're, you're trying to do everything you can. Maybe you're, you're trying to keep your head above water when it comes to finances, you're tithing, but everything else seems to be falling apart and you're having an actual physical fight. We also know fighting when it comes down to like, the Olympics just started a couple nights ago. We've got boxing and wrestling. We've got people that have fought their way to the very top, the pinnacle of success in the athletic world of uh, uh, racing. It, it's a fight. We, we understand what fighting is, but I don't know how much we take a step back and look at the fight that is actually for your life. You might be in the fight of your life right now, but it's probably a part of the fight for your life. And we have a very real enemy, a very real, a very real devil, a very real Satan that is after you. He's seeking to destroy your life. He, the Bible literally says he prowls around seeking who he can kill, steal, and destroy. Like he wants to devour your life. He's gonna do everything he can. But when it comes to God, we have hope. And I think about moments, and I think about this moment in particular, where I kind of got a glimpse into how God sees humanity. And this is one of those moments that will probably forever mark me, and I will probably talk about 10, 15, 25, 30 years from now, because it was something that I realized the goodness of God. And you see, when, when we can recognize and know how good our Father really is, it's something that can help us to have a little bit of hope. 
knowing that we have a very real enemy, and a lot of times we give him a little bit too much credit. We, we, we make him a little bit too, too smart. L- listen, the devil is dumb. He has a few scare tactics and a few things that he can do to you, but at the end of it all, he has already lost. Victory is ours, and death wears your sting, amen? Like, we, we already have the victory. But for those that have not experienced the goodness of God, for those that can't say that confidently, it's hard. For those that can say that confidently, it's still hard. It is hard for us to walk through a battle, to walk through a spiritual attack from the enemy, to walk through a season of where I've given everything to God, why is this still happening to me? And we can't always answer the question why. But today I wanna try to help you unlock some things and and I wanna show you a little bit into the life of Jesus and and kind of help us to maybe mirror and and utilize some of the things that Jesus did because even though being fully God, he was fully human and he had to walk through attacks and temptation and he had to overcome a lot of things before he even got to the cross, before he even conquered death, hell, and the grave. He did those things so that we could have hope and so we could have access um, to his word and to his truths. Uh, before I get there, I, I want to talk for a second about the enemy and, and the way that he does uh, unbelievers, the way that he works with unbelievers. You see, if he can't take somebody out by killing them, he's going to do his best to distract them. Because when you tap into the goodness of God, when you uncover how good God really is, you begin to see things with a different light. You begin to see things with a different eternal perspective that even if the worst thing happens, I know that the best is yet to come. I know that I have eternity with my Father. I know that I have a goodness ahead of the rest of my life, no matter what happens, no matter what road is ahead. And so we understand God's goodness and we understand God's hope, but for someone who has not seen the goodness of God, the enemy tries to keep blinders on their eyes. So what he does is he comes in and he throws things like spiritual hurt or he throws things like where, where people are, are talking about the church and they, they begin to take that and they begin to use that against the church or use that against God. Or maybe they just literally have no clue who God is and they never even have had the opportunity to know the goodness of God. Maybe they've heard about Jesus but they don't know how good he is or how personal he can be. Maybe they have heard stories of, of, of God saving other people or or people giving their life to him, but they have no clue what that means. They have no clue what the hope that comes with that. And the enemy, his priority, if he can't take them out, he's like, I'm just going to keep their their eyes covered because if they see the goodness of God, they're going to begin to know the goodness of God and they're going to begin to have hope. And we see this, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's talking about this and he's talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who came and died and was resurrected. He's going around and spreading the gospel and trying to get other people to And he says this, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the the God, the little g God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They can't see his unconditional love. They can't see his never-ending grace. They can't see his promised protection. They can't see his relentless pursuit of of their life. They they haven't had the opportunity or the access to be able to to understand that God loves them despite what they've done, despite what's happened to them, despite how many times they've rejected God, despite how many times they've turned away from God. They they can't see that because the enemy has blinders over them. And if he can't kill them, he's going to keep them blind from the goodness of God. And it's our responsibility not just to share our faith, not just to, to open up the word of God and, and read a scripture to somebody. Those things work and those things are important, but also share the goodness of God with people because when they begin to get curious as to why, how can you still have joy in that circumstance? How can, you still have, how can you still have hope? Do you know how many people have died from this? How many people, how in the world can you still act this way? Because our hope is not in anything in this world. Our hope is in eternity. We know that even if the worst things happen here, the best things are ahead for our lives. And they don't have that hope because they have blinders on their eyes. You see, the enemy strategically attacks with things that will hurt you personally, whether through pain or temptation. He wants you to turn from God. He wants you and your perspective of how good God really is. He wants you to begin to doubt that. He wants you to begin, in in the way that he did with, with Job, he went to God and he said, hey, God, I'd like to go and, you know, kill somebody. I'd like to go and, and destroy their life. I'd get, like to go and wreck their life. And God literally says, have you considered my prophet Job? Have you considered Job? And Job was somebody, one of the wealthiest men on the planet, had everything you could think of and more in, in their time, and truly trusted God. And God knew that even though Job is about to lose everything, the enemy is about to put him in a fight for his life, literally, 
I know he's not going to curse me. I know he's not going to turn away from me. I know he's not going to doubt me. And all of the people around him, his wife, his best friends, everyone around him was like, Job, it's not even worth it. You've lost your children. You've lost your land. You've lost everything. Just curse God and die. Clearly, there's something wrong with you. Like, just curse God and die. Get this thing over with for all of us, for you and everyone. Like, it's over. And he just kept pushing through. And he just kept seeing the goodness of God in everything. Even though it hurt, even though it was painful, he understood that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't even know where the mountaintop is in this valley, but I know it's somewhere, and I'm going to trust God. And he began to just trust, and God honored him greatly for it. One of the greatest stories of hope in the Bible. If you're going through a fight right now, and you want some hope, you're going to see a lot of despair and a lot of pain in the first chapters of Job, but you're going to see hope at the end. I encourage you, if you are going through something, take a look at the book of Job. But Satan, to kind of put this in the perspective of Jesus, so Satan is after your life. Like, he, he, wants, he wants your life. That, that, that's his priority. He wants your life, and he does not want you to have anything to do with God. And so he's going to do everything he can. When Jesus came onto the scene, came, came onto the scene on earth, um, when he came onto the scene on earth, Satan did everything he could to fight for his life as well. And so what I wanna do is I wanna kinda of just show you what Jesus had to walk through in the fight for his life. Before the cross, before anything ever happened, we're gonna talk through some things that Jesus did that we have access to, and that even though we are gonna come up with a fight, or come to a fight in our life, because it's not, it's not if it will happen, it's when. Because the enemy is going to bring something, you're, you're going to have a, a package of pain arrive to your front door. I'm not, I'm not speaking that over anybody. I'm saying the reality is we live in a broken and fallen and sinful world and things happen. Hard times come. And if you're not prepped and ready for those hard times, if you're not prepped and ready for the fight of your life, then the enemy already has an advantage on you. And so today I want to try to help you just prepare for the fight of your life that's already going on, that's already happening behind the scenes, that you don't even know. God's providing supernatural protection over you. God's providing supernatural healing over you. But you might not see what's coming. And so here's what we need to do to prepare for that. So Jesus, um, he's born into this world. Immediately, Satan is trying to take him out. So King Herod gets angry, realizes this king is, is coming, and he, he wants to kill this king. It's not, it's not a king, I'm the king. And so he goes and he kills all of these toddlers, all, two, everybody two and under, trying to kill Jesus. Thankfully, his, God led uh, his family to a different location, and they were safe. But Satan, from day one, is trying to take Jesus out because Satan can't see the future like, like God knows the future. Satan can't see the end like God knows the end. But Satan knows, he's scared, he's terrified of what is to come in Jesus' life. And so fast forward to about 30 years and Jesus is getting ready to go into his ministry. Uh, he's ready to, to begin building his team of disciples and friends and people around him. He's ready to start performing miracles and doing all kinds of incredible things. And he goes, and the first thing he does is he gets baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. He gets baptized, and he says, hey, this is, what, this is what I want to do. I want you to baptize me. And John's like, no, no, no. And he's like, no, please baptize me so that I can, I can begin what God is, is asking me to do. So he gets baptized, and we're going to pick this up in uh, Mark chapter 1. We have two, two sections. We're going to read it out of this, uh, two different accounts in Mark and Luke. Um, I'll, I'll tell, explain why in just a second. But Mark chapter 1, verse 9 and picks up right at Jesus uh, getting baptized. And it says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And then what's crazy is Jesus has this incredible mountaintop moment. The spirit of God descends on him he hears the voice from his father in heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, in whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased, has this mountaintop moment with God. And then this is the very next, like not, not the next chapter, not the next day, not the next month. This is what happens right after that. And it says, uh, in whom I'm well pleased, and at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. The spirit sent him out to the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan himself. So Jesus has this, extremely high moment with God the Father. 
And I think it's interesting where maybe uh, I've been a youth pastor for a long time, so we've taken students to camp and have had incredible experiences with God. We've seen maybe at an encounter or maybe it was a Sunday morning. Maybe it was in your room. You just had this overwhelming encounter with God, and it changed your life. It marked you in the, kind of in a similar way that marked me that one day three years ago. It, it marked you to where you understand the goodness of God. You see the goodness of God. But what happened in, in Jesus' situation, immediately the Spirit led him into the wilderness and not just to hang out in the wilderness, to be tempted by Satan himself, like the tempter, the deceiver, like the one that has all of the, all of the cannons loaded, ready to destroy Jesus' life. Like he sends him into the wilderness. And I, I think sometimes when we go through a situation where we have this really mountaintop experience with our Father, with God, and all of a sudden we end up in a valley, like just days later, just moments later, just minutes later even sometimes, I think it's God allowing you to understand, like, I'm with you. You can remember that moment that we had. You can remember that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son who I love. You can remember that moment, daughter. You can remember that moment, son. And when you're walking through this valley, you might not see the mountaintop ahead of you. You might not even be able to see the mountain ahead of you. You might not know where the light is at the end of the tunnel, but trust me, what I did there, I've got something greater over here. And it's going to take a little bit of time, and it's going to take a little bit of hurt, and it's going to take a little bit of pain. It's going to take a little bit of pruning, but I'm taking you deeper into a deeper understanding of my goodness, into a deeper understanding of my grace, into a deeper understanding of my love, into a deeper understanding of who you really are to me. And I know sometimes that we don't understand, we're like, God, I, I, I did everything for you, I gave everything, I, I, God, I, I gave so much there, like I really didn't expect to have a financial hardship right after we just gave the largest check we'd ever given, or God, I didn't expect after I, uh, after I surrendered all of that to you, I didn't expect to have uh, that, that temptation hit me so heavily when I got home. But what happens is God's saying, hey, just trust me, I'm not gonna put anything on you you can't handle, just trust me, Use, use those past experiences, use those past moments like Job did, knowing God is good, I know he hasn't left me, he said he would never leave me and forsake me, I can't hear him, I can't feel him, but I know he's there, and I'm just gonna continue to walk forward. I'm gonna continue to trust, I'm gonna continue to move, I'm gonna continue to, to follow his um, plan for my life. Luke chapter four, it's just the different account of the baptism. We see the same thing. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Again, it's, it's led by the Spirit, God allowing him to walk into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, one of the most obvious passages in Scripture, he was hungry. 40 days, no food, he was hungry. Can somebody say amen? amen. Like, I, I would be hungry after 40 minutes. I'm hungry right now. I know you're hungry right now. And me talking about food just makes you, it, it, we're hungry, right? Like, obviously he's hungry. What's interesting is Satan, uh, like, he, he sees this, and he's in the wilderness with Jesus, and he knows he's fasting. And what's interesting is what Satan does right here in this next passage. So Jesus is hungry. He's fasting. His body, when, when you fast, you, and we, we encourage you, hey, we're about to jump into 21 days of prayer in your chair. It's going to be incredible. Uh, fasting is one of those things that will truly begin to tear some things in your life. It will also possibly bring breakthrough. Every time we fasted uh, for something that we really were in desperate need of, we've, we saw God's hand in it. And so I would encourage you, jump in, be a part of 21 Days. It's going to be incredible. Um, but what happens here, so, so he was hungry. We have this obvious point in Scripture. If Jesus is fully human and fully God, we know his fully human side is really showing here because he's hungry. And this is what the devil said to him. Hey, if you're the son of God, right, like, can you... Can you imagine the devil himself being in the wilderness, him and Jesus alone for 40 days? Like, it would have never stopped. Like, Jesus had to deal with what we deal with on, on, on a, a, a basis, not uh, maybe every now and then. Jesus is hearing this every moment, every second for 40 days while his body is hungry, while his, while his body is literally, like, deteriorating from the inside out. He's beginning to, to, to get weak mentally, emotionally, physically. And Satan says this, just mocking him. Hey, if you're the son of God, right, like that's what you say you are, uh, tell this stone to become bread. Tell this stone to become bread. He knows Jesus is hungry, so he's gonna tempt him with something that Jesus wants right now. Like, he didn't say, hey, Jesus, hey, would you turn this into like a cauliflower crust, uh, kale kind of salad thing? Like, it's bread, y'all, like he wanted bread. Jesus wanted bread, I want bread, you want bread? We were talking about Texas Roadhouse opening, like I think it opens tomorrow or this week sometime. Like, they got some of the best bread in the world, right? Y'all, it's good. If you haven't had it, it's good. Like the honey butter, it's, it's just bomb. And then those Olive Garden breadsticks, 
That was a good two. But uh, the enemy's not going to tempt you with something that you're not going to be tempted by. Uh, Let me tell you this. Just because we're on the subject of bread, it's kind of like bread, but it's not. We were in Cabo a uh, a couple weeks ago for our 10-year anniversary. It was a lot of fun. Me and my wife celebrating 10 years. Thank you. Um... It's always awkward, like, you clap for, like, but, but it is a big accomplishment. Like, it, it, really, it really is. I don't know why I just made that awkward for everybody in the room, but I did. That's what I do. I make things awkward. But we're in Cabo, and we uh, had eaten dinner. It was one of the nights we were there, one of our last nights there. And uh, we were staying in San Jose, uh, Cabo area, and we wanted to go down to the marina. Well, Kelsey's like, hey, I want some churros. And I was like, oh, come on, somebody. I want some churros, too. And he, like, churros, y'all. You don't, you don't know what churros are? They're like, um, they probably are what, what manna was, honestly. Like in the Bible, like it was probably a churro filled with all kinds of like caramel and stuff. And so we're in there and, and I've been to Mexico a lot in my life, a lot of mission trips there, a lot of, uh, we've been to a couple fun trips there, but mostly missions. And so I, I feel pretty confident in Mexico. I, I, I understand the language. And um, so anyway, we're Ubering uh, down to San Lucas area and she's like, we're gonna go find some churros. So before that, um, okay, first off, you don't really, you don't really Google search churro carts. Like, they're just like angels. Like, they just kind of just show up. And you're like, like it's, like, it's like Jesus passing by almost. It's not that good, but it's, always, it's, it's good. And they got the churro carts and they're just rolling or you see them on the street. And so you really don't know where to look for them. So I, I, I'm like Google searching churros and I found this one and I was like, all right, let's go. And so we pay the Uber driver, we, he takes us down there and we're staying on this main highway back and forth from where we were staying to the, to the marina, which is kind of where all the shops and food places were. And um, so we, we don't even get into San Lucas. We take this dirt road, which I'm fine. It's nine o'clock at night. I'm optimistic about everything. I'm like, oh, it's all good. You know, you can trust me, babe. Like, I got this, no problem at all. And uh, this guy, he's nice, he's super kind. We're having a little bit of conversation. I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I understand Spanish pretty well, but you know, having conversational Spanish, I can kind of get my way around there. Um, and so uh, he's t- he takes an exit and he's trying to communicate to me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to look for some churros. And uh, he doesn't know English at all. And and so he's kind of shaking his head like, no, I don't think you're understanding. Uh, I was like, no, it's okay. Like, I found this place. Let's go here. And he goes. He turns down this like dark, dark road. Again, I'm, I'm totally cool with this. Kelsey's holding my hand. I'm good with it. She should be good with it. We're all good. And so finally, the guy, he kind of goes off in his phone. I mean, like, like full on paragraph story. And then he plays and it's like the Google translator playing through the, the intercom and he said, hey, this is not a good place for tourists. Uh, it's 10 o'clock at night. You probably shouldn't be here. Um, can I take you to a different place for some churros? I was like, no, no, it's okay. Like, like the dude is, he's trying to help me. Like he's, he's a godsend. Like dude, dude is trying to help me out. And so we pull up to, I was like, it's in a shopping center. It's okay. He's like, we don't have those around here. Like, that's not a real thing. And so he's like, does they have a phone number? And I called and I couldn't get them to answer. And I was like, they're probably just not picking up. And like, I'm just, I'm an idiot. And so we just keep driving and he, he pulls up to the place and the dude goes full on dad mode for us. Like he begins to ask him, he's like, hey, where's the churro stand? And they're like, oh, it's back here somewhere. And he's like, where's it at? Do they have all the, like, and, and I mean, he's going off like in Spanish and I'm picking up a little bit. And uh, he's like, where's it at? And he's like, do they have like the caramel stuff? Like, yeah, it's all back there. Go back there. And he's like, uh-uh, nope. I'm, like, I'm getting out of the car. I'm like, all right, y'all, see y'all. And he's like, no, 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 sit down. <laughs> like, sit down. So I'm like, whoa, this is weird. Um, anyway, like, this is, like, for real true story, my wife was in here laughing because she felt, she felt so comfortable with the whole situation. <laughs> y'all are laughing because y'all know, like, I was about to have the fight for my life, right? Um, anyway, so he calls, like, two people. He's like, hey, where can I get this guy some churros? He's about to end up someplace he shouldn't be at 10 o'clock at night in, the Me- in, in Cabo, but not at Cabo. Uh, and so he calls. So he finally takes, he takes us all the way down back to the marina. He's like, this is where you want to stay. This is where you should be, right up there. This chur- and we walk up. There's some churros. It was the greatest night of my life. It was amazing. We got some churros. So... How that ties into this is because we, we were talking about bread. Remember bread? Churros aren't really bread, but they're, they're, they're golden. They're manna. So anyway, it was fun though. But, but the, the reality is Satan is not going to tempt you with something that, you are not, um, that, you, that you're not wanting, that you're not needing, that you're not desiring. Like literally, um, it, as we're walking down churros, uh, down churros, down, <laughs> down to get churros, they're like, hey man, you want some party favors? Hey, you need some of these? Hey, you need some? I'm like, no, like those weren't tempting to me at all. I, I just want the golden cart right there with the churros. Like the one that has the caramel drip. That's where I want, right there. Get me over there. That's all I want. Nothing else around me. Like I didn't care about anything except churros in the moment. 
And like, that's, that's how the enemy works. He knows who you are, and he knows what you like, and he knows what things you shouldn't be into, so he's gonna put those things in front of you. And in that moment, he puts this bread, this opportunity to turn, um, to turn this rock into bread in front of Jesus because he's hungry. And then Jesus, this is how he answers. He said, it is written, it is written, all the way back in Deuteronomy, thousands of years before this, this is scripture they would have had. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's like, all right, Jesus, okay, you're using some, some scripture on me, it's all good. So then he goes to, to point number two, or to part number two, Luke chapter four, verse five. He says, the devil led him up to a high place. So again, it's just probably just constant, just not stopping, never stopping, just this constant in his ear, tempting, trying to get him to do something he shouldn't be doing. And Jesus is weaker and weaker and weaker by the day. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you just worship me, it'll all be yours. You can just hear, you can hear the mockery in his voice. You can hear the deception and the deceiving and the lying and the destruction in his tongue. And then Jesus just says this, it is written, again using scripture, back from Deuteronomy, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All right, Jesus, that's cool. Just go on and do your little prayer thing, whatever you're doing in here. You'll get a little weaker. I'll come back in a little bit. You know, Satan offers him a shortcut. Dude, you don't have, he, he doesn't see all of the things that the cross will bring. He doesn't see all of the, the conquering of death, hell, and the grave that will come. But he's like, you could just jump that whole thing. You can have everything. I'll give it to you. But Jesus isn't about it. Jesus knows that God has a plan. And the plan really isn't about Jesus at all. It's about you. And it's about me. And the whole time while he's in this wilderness, the whole time while he's going through this, he's thinking about you and me. The whole time. He's like, I can't give in. I, I can't even turn that stone to bread because it will mess up what I'm supposed to do for them. So then a third time, a third time, the devil led him up to Jerusalem and said, now this time this is interesting because he's watched Jesus say, it is written, it is written. Now here, here are the words of Satan himself. The devil led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and here he goes, he said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, just mocking and just berating Jesus, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up in their hand, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Come on, Jesus, like just show everybody, look at all these people, they're watching you. If you'll just jump, you can literally show everybody that you're God, that you say you are, like you're doing the whole it is written thing, I can do that too, right? It is written, like he's gonna command his angels, you're good, Jesus, just go ahead and jump. You can have all this if you just do what I say. And this is what Jesus says. Uh, he says, do not put the Lord to your test. And then in another uh, account of this scripture, he says, and Jesus said to him, after he had said this, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. Like I'm done with this, I'm, I'm tired, I'm, I'm, I'm downcast, I'm hungry, my body is weak, my mind is weak, my spirit is weak, but get away from me, you have no power here, I have all the power here, I'm not gonna fall into temptation, I'm not gonna do anything that you're asking me to do because I'm not doing it because I care about them. Because all my eyes are fixed on them because no matter how weak I feel, no matter how lonely I feel, no matter, because we don't even have an account showing that God was here to support him. In fact, what it says is after this, the angels came and attended to Jesus. So I feel like Jesus was in a real valley of the shadow of death, meaning he probably was not feeling a whole lot from his father in heaven and he probably was feeling more humanity than he, ever, he had ever felt in his life. But the entire time, he's thinking about you and he's like, no, I'm not gonna fall. I'm not gonna allow this fight for my life to conquer me. No, I'm gonna conquer it. And this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, it is written, it is written, it is written all day long because I'm thinking about them. Satan wasn't even done, uh, you know, tempting Jesus. It says um, in Luke, it says, when the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until another opportune time. He's relentless, he really is. The enemy is relentless. But we have a God who's more relentless a God who's already defeated a relentless enemy, that there is nothing in your life that you can't overcome because Jesus said in this world you're gonna have trials and tribulations. In this world you're gonna have trouble, but take heart because I've already overcome it. I've already overcome that relentless enemy. I've already overcome those moments. I've already overcome that report. I've overcome everything in your life that you see as negative. I'm already gonna turn it around for my good. I've already overcome that. And we know that there is always hope because we can trust in his goodness. We can trust in his truth. We can trust in his grace. You see, he did finally get Jesus. He got him at his weakest point when he's beaten, destroyed, mocked in front of everyone. 
And Jesus kind of spreads his arms wide open and says, hey, with an open chest, hit me with your best shot. And he did. He did. He got Jesus. Exactly what he was going for. And Jesus, the whole time, he's thinking of you, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's thinking of you the whole time. And he's open-chested, taking every punch straight to the gut just for you. And Satan kills him and says, I got it. But again, all along, he can't see the future. He can't know. Because three days later, three days later, our, our Jesus walked out of the grave. He defeated death, hell, and the grave in every single circumstance that you ever face in your life. So even when the enemy's like, I got him, he's got you. He's got you, and it might feel dark. It might feel dim. It might feel like 40 days in a wilderness with Satan in your ear every single moment of every single day, but just trust in his goodness and his faithfulness because my Bible says and your Bible says that he's never gonna leave you or forsake you, so I know there's a way out and you have a way out. And even if, even if, all the way to death, death where is your sting? What we see is the most lost amount of hope is really the greatest amount of hope because our hope is nothing in this world. Our hope is in eternity. And so even with Satan's hardest blow towards your life, it's just the beginning of eternity with our Father. The Bible says when these trials come, when these moments come, when the fight comes, it doesn't say if, it really is when because these, these fights are coming, these fights are happening right now for your life. It could be days away, it could be years away, it could be months away. And the goal of, of any kind of fight, of any kind of battle, of any kind of war, of any kind of uh, Olympic event, like the goal is to be prepared, right? And Jesus was fully prepared to walk into that wilderness and we should be prepared to walk into a wilderness. Even if you're, you're, you're on the mountaintop right now, every, you're giving glory to God, know that the enemy is trying everything he can to get you off that mountaintop and get you into that valley so that you begin to question the goodness of God. So you begin to, to put, he wants to put blinders on you and see, well, I was up there, everything was going good with me and God, like we were doing so well. I was, I was, I was doing so well with this thing that I had had for so long. I, I, was, I was doing so well at, 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 at whatever it is in your life, but the enemy wants to come and put blinders and all, all I know is that the battle is gonna come and you gotta be battle ready. And so I begin to think, what things that you, do you do in any situation to train up and prepare for a battle? And the first thing you do is you gotta stock up. You see, Jesus was fully stocked and, and we know that in John chapter one it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So even as Jesus is speaking, he's creating the words of God that we would see 2,000 years later, but he's speaking the actual written words of God which means those hold a lot of weight. He began to speak those to the enemy and the enemy eventually, fl uh, eventually fled. So that means that God's word holds a lot of weight in our life. That means we should be stocking up on the word of God. J uh, David says it like this, Psalms 119. It says, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I have not sinned against you, that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart. You might be memorizing a verse, you might be reading a, 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 a passage of scripture, you might be reading a parable that Jesus talked about and not even understanding that in three years from now that's gonna come back to you and you're gonna remember that if Jesus did it for them, then I know he can do it for me. You're gonna remember that verse that, that says death where's your sting. You're gonna remember that verse that says that even, even in uh, all of my trials and tribulations, I can trust that he's overcome. Even in, in death, I know that he can still overcome. I know that he's with me. I know that he'll never leave me or forsake me. You can begin to just quote scripture after scripture. You can tell the enemy literally to get out. Jesus told him to get out. It's the word of God. You can say, you can command the enemy to flee and he will flee in Jesus' name. Like we have that kind of weight and authority, so we should be stockpiling scripture into our heart. We, um, we just started reading the, or watching the, the Chosen series. I, I've never seen it. And just a couple days ago, we started watching it. We're just a few episodes in. But the very first, the very first episode, in the very first two minutes, you see this, this imagery or this, this uh, you know, part of the, the video with a dad and his little girl. And she's scared. Uh, the, you can tell, obviously, the dad is sick. And he says, hey, what do we do when we're afraid? What are we doing when you're afraid? And, and he, he begins to quote, and she begins to quote with him the verse out of Isaiah chapter 43, and it says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you, who says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. 
And fast forward, um, it, it, I know it's fictional. I, 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 know it's, I, I know it's something that has been created by Hollywood and, and all of these things, but it really does stick very closely to the word of God. And although we don't have this account of, of this little girl holding close to scripture, we know that that is some of their only hope that they ever had was when they would quote scripture. And that's why Jesus used scripture over and over and over. And they don't have the, the opportunity to have scripture, the access to scripture that we do today. They might've had a couple scrolls. They might've had a couple of moments where they were able to memorize scripture. And that might have been the only scripture, the only hope that they would hold on to for the rest of their life. And you see, fast forward to about 30 years, you see this woman who's, who has seven demons, who we know from scripture will be Mary Magdalene, that Jesus goes and casts out the demons and calls her by name. And so, but even in that moment of where she's, in, in the video, in the movie, she's like, the, the demons are manifesting and things are going crazy. She's trying her best to quote the scripture to know that he's with her. Putting scripture in your heart, hiding scripture in your heart is one of the greatest things that you could do. So stock up, number two, armor up. We've all heard of the armor of God, but I don't know if we understand the full weight that it really carries. The armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 is one of the most uh, profound ways of helping us to understand how to block and how to defend the attacks of the enemy. Because you have in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, this is that when, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, not but, it's, it's when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Even when all hope feels lost, even when you feel so weak, you can stand firm. And then it goes into all of the different pieces of armor. You have the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, um, the shield of faith. And then you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's the thing that can literally, that, that's the only attacking mechanism that God gives us is the word of God. We've got all of this other stuff to defend us from the attacks of the enemy. But we've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that we're able to de defend off and to fight off the wiles of the enemy, and, and that's what we should be doing. We should not just be stocking up, we should be using, using the scripture, using the word of God as, as not just, a, it, we talk about using it as a moral compass, as a moral compass, but also using it as a weapon against the warfare that is, waging, uh, that is raging against your life right now. So we've got stock up, we've got armor up, and the last thing you wanna do is you wanna power up. You wanna be the greatest power that you can have, you wanna have access to the greatest power you can get. And it says this in Ephesians chapter one, it says, I pray that you will know how great his power really is for those who have put their trust in him. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The greatest miracle in human history that we know, the greatest miracle in human history that will ever be a part of this world is when Jesus walked out of that grave. And what it says is that we have the same power, we have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead that you literally have that in you. If, you. if you believe in him, you trust in him, you have access to a power that raised Christ himself from the dead. And if that doesn't get you excited and that doesn't help you understand that there's nothing you can't face that isn't too, that you don't have the strength to carry, that you don't have the things to walk through. Like literally you have the power that raised Christ from the dead. There's nothing that you can come against you that you can't handle, that you can't defeat. It's already been defeated. Death, hell, and the grave has already been defeated. And you have access to the power inside of you to be able to conquer those things that the enemy puts in front of you. Two more verses and I'll be done. James chapter four, it's, it's a very well-known verse. Uh, resist the devil and he will flee, right? If you just resist the devil, well, a lot of times humanity, you really can't resist the devil. He's, he's good at what he does. He's, he's liar of liars, deceiver of deceivers, thief of thieves. Like, he's pretty good at what he does. He's got a lot of the world right now. And the, the first part of this verse, that we, we just say resist the devil and he will flee. Well, a lot of times if, that, if he tells you to turn that stone into bread, you're going to want to turn that stone into bread and you might even do it. But this is what it really says. Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves to God and then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've got to understand, I cannot do it in my own strength. I can't. I really want that bread. I really want that healing. I really want that raise. I really want that promotion. I really want that restoration. I really want that, and I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll, I'll get the shortcut. I'll, I'll listen to whoever. I'll, I'll do whatever. But the reality is God has his timing. It's not always immediate like we want it, but he might be walking you through a valley. He might be allowing you after a God moment in your life 
to be walking through a wilderness with the enemy himself only so that you can go deeper with him only so you can help others accomplish things they never thought they could accomplish because of what you saw as a victory in your life things don't always work out the way we want it to but if we would open our mind up to understanding that God has his ways and his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and the question of why would God allow this to happen none of us can even try to answer that but we understand that he's a God that is sovereign, that sits on his throne and that cares deeply for you. He's not just looking down, watching us, trying to figure everything out. Like he truly is in your life. He's in your children's life. He's in your parents' life. He's in every single person's life. And I realized driving down that road one day, I realized how much he truly cares about you. And he cares about the fight that's over your life because he's fighting for you. He will never stop pursuing you never stop pursuing you and never stop pursuing them. I want to end today with a story of, of Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 10 and, and a little backstory to this is Jesus, so he's trying to get the word out as quick as possible. And he didn't just have his 12 disciples, he had his 12 disciples and then he had some other friends and people. And then the certain scenario, the certain story or the certain uh, account, he gets 72 believers with him, 72 people. And he puts the spirit of God on them and sends them out two by two and they begin to go into all the regions, all of the areas of this nation and they begin to proclaim the goodness of God. They begin to, to, to experience healings and miraculous things. They begin to cast out demons and do incredible works. It's so that the, the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ would truly get spread faster and faster to what it is today. But what's really cool about this is Jesus always uses things as a teaching moment. And in Luke chapter 10, verse, verse 17, we see them coming back from ministry. We see, we see all of the things that happened, but we see them coming back to Jesus from the ministry that they had done. And it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. In your name, not my name, not their name. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Like you thought that was just a cool verse in a song. Like that's the actual scripture that Jesus uses. That's an actual word. Like he, he literally saw the enemy fall flat on his face like lightning. And he's telling him like, there, there is nothing too great for us. And I've put that same power in you. And they're like, wow, this is crazy. Like in, in your name, we're casting out demons and seeing miracles happen. But I want you to get this because I think this is really where the hope lies in everything. We need to stock up. We need to armor up and we need to power up. We need to be ready, we need to be battle ready, we need to be ready for the fight for your life because it's there, it's here, it might be here right now. You might be going through something that is truly the fight for your life and you're questioning everything. I'm telling you, don't give up because here's what, what Jesus says to them. I've given the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, everybody say all, all of the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. Like that right there, that gives me hope. But that's not even the best hope because here's the next. However, remember it's a teaching moment. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because it's, it's different for us. Even though yes, we have power over the enemy. Even though yes, we've, we're stocked up, armored up, powered up, ready to go. Our fight is not here. We've already won, he's already won this fight. It's already conquered, it's already defeated. Your names are written in a book you get to spend eternity with the Father, so death really, where is your sting? What situation in your life could ever amount to that? He, he's excited for them. He's, he's telling them, yeah, like, keep doing that. Keep, keep understanding that you have power over the enemy. You, you take that today, you understand that. You have power over the enemy. He's, he's given you power over the enemy, but don't, don't let that be your only hope. Don't let that be the only thing you walk around thinking about. Think about this. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. For all of eternity, you're his. He loves you like a, like a son, like a daughter. He cares for you deeply. You will never, ever, ever lock eyes with somebody that doesn't deeply matter to God and that he doesn't want their names in that book. No matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, that's how we win. That's how we win in the end. We might see death as the end for us, the truth is it's just the beginning because our names are in that book. If everybody in here in, in Nacogdoches and those of you tuning in, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. I know it's hard. Some of you are going through some incredibly difficult things that nobody should ever have to go through. 
but I believe in a God who can bring you through anything, and I believe that in a God that will make you stronger on the other side, and I believe in a God that will use your story for greatness and for his glory to change the lives of other people around you. I want you to have hope and know that you can always have hope. You can have hope in healing, you can have hope in restoration, you can have hope in salvation, you can have hope in freedom, knowing that your time is coming. The valley doesn't last forever. The valley doesn't last forever, and even if it does on this earth, your name is written in a book for eternity. And the unfortunate thing is if your name is not written in that book, you don't have access to the same power that we do. You don't have the same hope that we do. And that's the whole purpose of everything that we are, of everything that we should do, is to help people understand there is a hope beyond this world. And we want you to know that God is good despite what you see, despite what you hear, despite what you know. God is still good, he's still on the throne, and he still loves you. If you're in this place today and you're like, you know what, that's me, I need to, I want my name in that book. I want access to that power. I want to begin to stock up on his word. I want to begin to armor up with the armor of God. I want to begin to power up understanding that he's given me power to defeat the enemy and all the things that he has for me. If you're in this place, you're like, today I want, to, I want my name to be written in that book. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Would you just raise your hand? I see your hands. He sees your hands. He loves you. He brought you here for such a time as this to experience his goodness, to experience his mercy that no matter what your life looks like, no matter what your life has looked like, will look like, you're his and he's yours. I'm gonna pray this and it is, as I pray this, those of you that lifted your hands, would you just, just in your own heart, just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Come into my life, I give you control. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for each person that's in this room, that's in Nacogdoches, that's tuning in online. God, and we know that this world is not short of any trouble or, or hard time. God, we, we have a lot of that, and especially right now, it's difficult for so many. But God, I thank you that you have given us hope beyond this world. You've given us hope beyond our circumstances. You've given us hope beyond our situation. You've given us hope beyond our failure. We know, God, that we, because our names are written in your book, we have hope that goes far beyond this world. And I pray for strength for those that are going through something right now, that are in a deep, deep valley. They can't see a mountaintop, but God, they know you're there with them. I pray, God, that you would lift them, be the lifter of their head. God, I pray that you would be walk beside them. I pray, God, that you would never leave them or forsake them. Like you've said, I pray that, God, that you would truly give them strength to make it through the situation that they're in. And God, for those that, that raise their hand to say, I want my name in that book. I want to surrender to Jesus today. Father, I pray that you would wrap your loving arms around them like you never have in their life. I pray, God, they would feel you so close. Just as the prodigal son, God, felt that the embrace of the Father, I pray that every man and woman that raised their hand this morning would feel the embrace of their heavenly Father and know that their name is written in the book and they have hope beyond this world. They have power and access to, to great things, God, greater things than we even saw when you were on this earth. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to know that this is the, the beginning of life and joy and freedom for them. And I pray, Father, that that you would help them take the right next steps and begin to pursue you and begin to, to make the right decisions in their life, God, that are based on your decisions and not their own. We thank you for all that you've done today, and I pray that you would bless every individual in this room in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.